Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Just as a warning, this episode contains some discussion of suicide. So if anything comes up for you or you know of someone in need of mental health support, call Free ADF Veterans and Family Service Open Arms on 1800 011 046 or in an emergency call 000. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. If you could give us a little bit of background on your defence member's service over in Afghanistan, what he did over there, how long he was over. He's been over a couple of times. The first deployment was through Operation Slipper. So that was over the 2013-2014 period. He was over there for approximately seven months straight. He was actually part of the Australian force that fell underneath the British command at Camp Karga, at which is outside of Kabul. So it's not quite Kabul. And then his second deployment was in 2017 for approximately eight months, which fell underneath Operation High Road, in which he was at the HQRS, to make sure I get the acronym right, the Headquarters Resolute Salute at Kabul. So during Operation Slipper, it was kind of a three-stage mission. And first was to establish a base. Second was to establish an academy. And the third was to provide protection. So going for part one, they were establishing Cab Karaga itself. And with that, they were mainly providing protective detail, but they're also working alongside a variety of people, including the Afghan contractors and subcontractors, because it was literally starting from nothing. There was there wasn't even a building when he was over there. They slept in rooms that were literally a tent divided by blankets or towels for privacy. So like bare basic start. They also were working alongside the Afghan infantry known as a Kandak in providing the security for the build and the development. Once that was sort of underway and things were going up and that, they were involved in providing VIP protection known as guardian angels for high-ranked officers and officials. But this could be Australian citizens, it could be Afghan citizens, but it included people from all of the partner nation. Towards the end of the trip, they had established and built a Afghan officer academy. And so it wasn't their job to teach the Afghan. They did have specific people involved with that, which would also involve interpreters and instructors and that. Their job role was to provide security for the academy itself so that the staff could feel safe and continue on with their job. During Operation High Road, it was a little bit more concise in what their job role was. They were located in Kabul and they provided close personal protection to the high-ranking officers and officials, as I mentioned before. And this time, though, it would be on foot or in vehicles. 
to and from locations, whatever appointments or dignitaries or things that would need to be set out. They would get a daily mission on the day and that was what their job role was. So what was the feel like when your partner was, I guess, getting ready to deploy both of those times? Was he ready to get over there and do the job that obviously he trained to do? Was he excited to be a part of it and actually play a role in in helping over there? What was the general feel? It was different by times. The first, obviously, we had no idea, neither of us had experienced this. Through talking to other spouses who had experienced it and other serving members or veterans, what we both went through was quite normal. Myself was quite similar to a lot of spouses, became highly emotional, overthinking, worried, scared of the stigma of war itself, not necessarily of Afghan, just they're going over somewhere away to be security, but they're there to do a job role and it's not safe. While on the other hand, which I reiterate is apparently quite normal, he became very stoic and had to establish soldier mode. That's what we called it. It's He had to get his head in the game. If he started overthinking and overanalyzing and overworrying, he wasn't going to be able to do his job role to the best of his ability and to the best of the ability of everyone around them. It was the time that they had to rely and trust each other without having to actually say it every day. So many tears on my end, many, you know, structured sort of head down, bum up attitude on his And then you sort of started counting up the days and then counting down the days. Second deployment, very different. Kind of knew what I was going into. Still many tears, but a little bit more of a realism of what to expect on both ends. A little bit more of an expectation from both ends. Still that sort of soldier mentality of, okay, I need to do this. I need to prepare that. We need to do this. And on my end, it was probably a little bit more... I guess reserved because I didn't want to be the person that cried every time I would think about it and make him feel guilty. And then that would make me feel guilty for making him feel guilty. So I would quite often try and hide a lot of the tears, but I was also very aware that I had to show my emotions to him. And he was very aware that he also could not just be in soldier mode because it did affect us both. What was it like, I guess, having those emotions and extended people around you, not having that extra, I guess, knowledge and insight into the importance of what he was doing and I guess their opinions and you're trying to deal with your emotions and I guess shield your partner as well, but also you want to fall back on family and friends. What was the feel at the time during your partner's deployments? What was the general opinion among the community at the time, you know, back in 2013 and and for the second deployment? Very different to this past week. Definitely incredibly different. A lot of uh, community, especially our community, were openly proud. We would get people who had actually served that would be, well, you know, we'll see when you get back, brother. If they were veterans, we had a lot of people talk about how he's off to do something that many people won't or are able to do. There were criticism behind the scenes that we didn't directly face at that point in time, because unfortunately it is a war time situation, whether you're talking about domestic terrorism or you're talking about international conflicts. So playing politics doesn't always fix a solution. And it's really hard 
to have a conversation with people who have almost an expressed view that your partner is involved in something that's basically just as a gun junkie, someone who's just out there. Like I said, it wasn't as bad at the the beginning. We actually found the hardest thing was, well, a lot of spouses face is the understanding of military life versus civilian life, but just amplified. No, I don't have any idea when he's going to call next. No, the address that I've been given for postal information is incorrect. There's no point me giving you that address. No, I only spoke to him 30 seconds. Like he had to hang up the phone. Yes, I I know Penny Nosea's neighbor got to speak to their son every couple of days, but it really depends on the job role and what they're doing. And it's just that sort of constant sort of reassurance and establishing that you don't have all the answers. So you get some people who are like, no, you're clearly lying. You, you have more information. Or you have the other people that just don't grasp it, which is fine. Like, I'm not going to understand everyone's job role. I can be empathetic, but I, I don't have that direct understanding. So it was really good to be able to be connected through social media, through defense spouses who understood this, who allowed events who allowed silly questions just because you're in something for many years doesn't mean you're any better or knowledgeable than someone who's brand new you just have the experience once your defense member had left and gone on that first deployment and I guess you were sort of in the routine of what it was like and okay a couple of months have gone by and we're doing this and you've still obviously got that worry that something would happen could happen because they are in a dangerous situation no matter what sort of job role they are doing over there what was it actually like living it day to day with that extra worry of getting a phone call because obviously everyone will have their own opinions but you and the defense member both have to believe in the cause and both have to have that, you know, have resolved that there's a good reason why they are going over there and they are doing good because otherwise, why are you both sacrificing all that you're sacrificing? What was it like day to day? In a sense, I had to have the mentality that this was kind of like another training exercise, field exercise, working extension. I already spend anywhere from two weeks to 12 weeks to months apart from my husband. So the actual aspect of not having them, if I put it into that sort of bubble, meant that I could continue to get by because if I could not cope I was not going to cope and that would just become a snowball. We had had a lot of discussions prior about what was going on in many situations around the world and so I already had quite a a strong belief in him and his views that he was going over there to help develop, help maintain, help. He calls it like a generational change and to bring back equality, rights. It's not about bringing in Western cultures. It was about providing freedom. And I don't mean that underneath the umbrella of rainbows and puppies. I mean that underneath the umbrella of giving someone a choice to live their life. So, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, we're talking about women who were barred from going to school from reading, from writing, walking the streets, wearing clothes. No, it's not even about fashion. It's about what they wanted to show children who weren't going to be brainwashed into such an extremist sort of view to be allowed to play soccer, baseball. 
just to show them that enjoyment could be enjoyment. And yes, his job role was security, but it's security to provide a good for something, to establish an academy that would allow them to eventually over time be able to do this themselves and not have to rely around. So I, I had no had no problems with him going over there because I knew he was going there for the right reasons. He's not naive about the start of this Australia's involvement in Afghanistan. He's not naive about the way it was withdrawn. But that's not what was happening. At the point in time that he was going, it was there to try and establish freedoms, happiness to an extent, equality, just life, just actual life. In terms of how I dealt with day-to-day, hard routine, routine. So in a sense, was going into the second deployment in some ways easier and some ways harder? So easier in regard to your defence member came back and I guess told you about stories about, you know, the good that's being done over there and, and told you about different moments that he'd experienced. And obviously then going into the second deployment, he's even more pumped to sort of go over there and and do good again and, and be part of it and make some sort of contribution again. But then also, I guess you're going into the second one going, okay, well, we got through the first one. I've got to cross my fingers even more to get through the second one because, you know, it's even more chance for danger and, and something to go wrong. And and now I know what I'm in for. So got to go into the second one knowing what I'm getting myself into, but still having that sense of contributing to the greater cause. Like what was it like going into the second deployment? I'm not going to lie. My husband was involved in something in the first deployment in which people lost their lives and he was directly involved. So going into the second one, I was terrified. I got no support the first one. I actually found out at five o'clock in the morning from a defence spouse who had found out through the chains of just whispers and contacts. And then they'd gone into a blackout of communication and I didn't hear from him for many days. I finally was told that he was alive. I did not have any, and I mean this, I had zero contacts from anyone. One partner who was also involved got a text message to say that her husband had gone to hospital. We had heard that many serving members who were still in Australia had received text messages about an incident that had happened. So I assume that's how the person who called me found out. I was then told by my husband that I wasn't allowed to say anything. If I had officials come to my door, I wasn't allowed to even say that I can't say anything because that would indicate that I know something because that's what he was told. So going into the second one, while I was prepared, more prepared than the first one, and I had more defence support. I still had my social support, but as time goes by, you know, circles change, chapters change, and that's, that's just life. But I had people that I could talk to as well as knowing, but I was terrified because some of the fears and some of the stigmas that I was concerned about had happened. So, yeah. How did you kind of, I guess, counteract those thoughts because obviously you knew that the danger existed because firsthand your partner had been involved. I relied and was also there back for other serving spouses. If it wasn't for them and vice versa, me for them, we, we wouldn't have really had anyone. Like every blue moon we got maybe an email or a letter from insert rank, that generic sort of one. There was nothing personalized. We didn't get phone calls. We didn't get nothing. 
we didn't get any information like after the first deployment. We got nothing. You you see it sometimes on the TV about how there's huge welcome parties and that that doesn't actually happen all the time. But there was there was not much, honestly. And the second time round, you had people who'd been away for eight months and then were sent off to Malaysia within a couple of weeks. There was no consideration for time or mental health for the serving member, let alone their spouse, their children. And part of that also is about how you have to deal with them. I had just dealt with eight months the second time around by myself with my routine. He would come back as a soldier who hadn't had much sleep in a very social situation, which they needed to, and they didn't know how to unwind back. There's no real discussion about that. You might have a little, oh, if you need anything, you can contact blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. It Once again, it's the spousal community and it's the other serving members and veterans that are the ones who are there to help you. So after your husband had that experience during the first deployment and he came back, did you feel like it was up to you to be the one that debriefed with him and made sure that he was doing okay? And then also, how did he mentally prepare for the second deployment, knowing that that is what occurred on the first one? Like, how did you feel he was going into the second one? Obviously, he still you know, believed in the cause and wanted to be a part of it. But going into the second deployment, both of your mental health would have taken a hit with all that had gone on. What was it like for your defence member going into the second deployment? So when they got to come home, they did get told they were supposed to do a psych session, but it was literally, how are you doing? I'm fine. Okay. You're right. Yep. When the, it was either the first or second one, because I think they had to do a couple he now doesn't believe in a lot of the sort of psychologists and that, that are provided by defense because he had someone incredibly young who he had to explain different terminologies and different situations to. So that, and he actually made the psychologist quite teary about it. And he ended up consoling him about it because this person had no idea this is what some of the serving members had gone through. I have someone in my life that when things happen, he takes it all inward. And that's what he did this time. So for me, it was trying to get some information or discussion. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and he just got on with life. But you knew that he was different. You knew that the way he would sleep at night, the way he would interact with other people times oh my gosh times all of a sudden were incredibly incredibly strict going in the second time he became even harder and more stoic and I think when he came back it was more of a okay I I want you to speak to someone no I don't need to we're fine but it's it's not it's it's the choice of tone it's the choice of language it's being aware that I'm a partner I'm not one of his soldiers now he is work sleep breathe over there that's all there was sometimes they got sleep sometimes they didn't so for him to unwind back on this end was a very heavy toll on both of us it was also something that I had to learn how to understand as well because I got to eat breathe sleep life yes I may have been stressed yes I may have been anxious yes I might have been scared but I didn't live what he lived. I didn't see what he saw. There are conversations about whether he even wants children now because of what he saw. 
there are conversations with many of his serving brothers and sisters that were over there who have become disconnected to their children or unfortunately have tried to do something with their lives. Some have. And I refer back to the serving members, their partners, their families as being the main call of support. Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. So given all of that, even with all that he went through and not being able to assimilate back to normal life very easily, having those ongoing thoughts about, you know, children and just that naivety to the world has been taken away from them. Like once you go through something like that, that it changes you. How does the defense member recount his service and the deployments in Afghanistan and all that they did and contributed to even after all of that and even knowing the impact that it's had on other defense members and families? He's really proud of what he's done. He's fortunately someone whose mental health is okay. He looks back most of the time and thinks of it quite fondly. He doesn't say that it's been easy. He didn't say that it was an easy job role, but he's proud that he got to do what he was trained to do. He's proud of seeing his fellow mates, the soldiers that he worked with, that he does call friends, get to do what they were trained to do. Seeing the academy being built up and seeing Afghani soldiers taking on that role and learning and seeing the passion that was kind of driving in their eyes and not just being forced. It's something that he thinks back fondly of because it's that whole teacher man to fish mentality. He also laughs at things like, you know, he doesn't ever want to go see the snow. He'd never seen the snow before Afghan. And a lot of people may not realise when it snows over there, it is blizzard snow level it's not a little bit of sprinkle so he associates snow with working in it not making snowman so you know he he has a bit of a a joke about that sort of thing he also you know just that sort of level of working in a way that not many people will ever get to experience from cultural differences to traditions to languages He worked with many nations that were also helping out. He worked with many locals that were also helping out. At one point, he said things like, don't send any more Tim Tams because every Australian partner was being sent Tim Tams. So I started sending Ferrero shares. And so it would be, oh, he's a little bit different. So they could have a little bit of a joke about something simply insignificant as a piece of chocolate. But then he also, completely flipping over, loves seeing what had happened love seeing the development he liked the fact that when he went back a couple of years later it was such a different sense amongst where he first started things were being established communication um he said even something as seeing teenagers go down the streets 
wearing clothing that were different. And he'd asked people about it. He's like, oh, they're wearing X, Y, and Z labels. They didn't have that luxury when he first went over there. So to see little bits and pieces of freedom, to seeing women being able to walk down the street again, he was quite shocked to hear that a lot of them were able to work in the stores, to go to school in that again. He was shocked in such a positive way because it meant it was happening. Women weren't they were being allowed to go to school. Like, obviously, there's a lot of negativity as well that he got to experience over there. And not all of his memories are happy, but he went over there to be able to provide assistance. And he did. And so what are your thoughts and feelings about your defence members' contribution? Obviously, you know, you get a sense that even with the hard times and what he saw and what he experienced, that the fact that he could see that progress over there and the change and that feel that sense of change over there far outweighed all of the negative memories and things that he experienced over there. What were your thoughts after he had done those deployments and what were your feelings about the contribution that your defence member made? I am so proud of him. I am so proud of anyone who puts their hand up for a difficult situation. There are certain roles that you have to have a certain style of strength and want and desire to be able to do to provide aid for others. Sure, he got to go over there and do stuff that he was trained for and got to do things that he'd spent so long working on and wanting, but he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it to help others. There's no other term than pride that I feel for him. Sure, my memory will go to the dark parts from time to time, but that's just reality. And, you know, the fact that on the other side, they're not as often. But he's, he's someone that wanted to do this for the right reasons. It's sad at the moment, the way that things are happening. It's terrifying the way that things are happening at the moment. But when I reflect on how I felt, the reasons I was stressed, upset, lonely, were for my own selfish love for him. I would never have told him not to go. When he proposed, we're a cliche, he proposed after he finished Kapuka. One of the things he said was, I will never be able to 100% put you before the army. I'm sorry if that is not quite where it should be, but I want you to know I will always put you 100% first in my heart and in my mind. And if you're willing to take this journey with me, I would like you to stand by my side. And I said that I would stand by his side if I wasn't willing to do this even though I had no idea no idea I wouldn't have said yes that's honest truth he is so strong so passionate and giving he doesn't think it he thinks part of his job role like what happened over there was just his job role he doesn't think he's someone special he's not someone who thinks he deserves accolades he is ridiculously humble about it but that's why he is that good person because he's not about the flashiness he isn't the one out there trying to do it for the wrong reasons. So yeah, pride. When you started filtering out of Afghanistan of the unfolding situation over there, obviously it's all come to a head in the last week, but the situation had been going towards that way for a number of weeks. What was your partner's reaction when you started filtering out of Afghanistan about what was happening over there and what was unfolding? He was devastated. As you said, this isn't something that was news 
this is something that was predicted. This is something that's been in the talk of their circles for a while now. I said he has a very different view on how things were left, but he's upset about what's happening to the people at the moment. He's upset about the fact that everything that's been built and developed and established has seemingly been burnt to the ground, both in a figurative and a literal sense in some areas. And this is this is before Kubel went down. When it actually happened, I don't think he realized how quiet he got. As I mentioned, he turns inward. And that's when I that's when I know he's processing it. He then spoke to me about it afterwards. And it was sort of quick and sharp. And then I tried to bring it up afterwards and he sort of shut it down. What he was doing in the process, though, was contacting others to make sure they were okay. The mental health of many of the members was very much on their four minds. And that's the same for him. I got messages from people. He got messages from people. They don't want to think that it's all done in vain, that providing that freedom for women to be able to be a human being and not a secondary class will still be there. He's worried about the younger children who might be brainwashed into this extremist regime. He's concerned about those in the middle range who have had, you know, 18, 20, 20 years of a whole different sense being either on one extreme taken in or punished. And then when it all happened, we then had civilian friends contacting me, him, our friends, to see if we knew what had happened, if they were okay because they were only getting it through social media and mass media. And this is where I mentioned earlier that my experiences through civilian circles is different to now. So on one hand, you've got all this work that's been done, all the years of sacrifice from training to being overseas, to missing births, to missing events, to Afghani working and developing their own life, their own pathway, the training at the academy, the going to school, the raising the children, the choice of clothing. You don't want it seemingly wasted. So, but you hold on to that little bit of hope that whoever officially takes over the regime, I say that kind of lightly because obviously everything's up in the air at the moment, will not be as bad as they were. Like, obviously, the Taliban keeps saying that they want to respect women more and they want to do this and that because they were brought to the table a few years ago by America and were signed, you know, the treaties and that. But at the same time, a few weeks ago, they were demanding women for their wives. At the moment, they go, they're blocking off the roads, the airports. They're going house by house, taking weapons, taking supplies. Anyone that's a journalist or an interpreter over there, they are either in a lot of trouble, which they've openly said, or they're taking the information. How can you not sit here and be enraged? at the situation of the rights of these people being stripped away to being told just trust us by people who are clearly doing one thing to a camera and other things so we've spent a lot of nights either too fixated on the news or blocking it out for our own mental health sake and in terms of how the civilian circles have handled it we've been called murderers and murder sympathizers some of our family members have been attacked At the moment, there's so much stress going on that whether it's people feel like there's more heightened emotion and anger, entitlements, misinformation, views, he's not a murderer. 
the people that went over there to help are not murderers. So you've got a lot of the community who have no idea and solely relying on the information under mass media and social media, you've got some people who just don't care because they've heard too much about this because they chose this, you chose that life. You've got people who are too focused on the COVID situation and many of the serving members and their families are also stuck in that nightmare. And then you've got people who are angry at Australia. And I'm not talking about Afghan residents in Australia. I'm talking about anyone from any backgrounds angry and being incredibly vocal about how disgusted they are in any serving member. I don't understand why my sister was targeted because I married someone who was in the army. I know others have been a lot more targeted. I know a lot of things that have been said behind my back. I know a lot of things that have been directly sent to some of our friends, some of our veteran friends, some of our serving friends, some of our friends who are connected through relationships. It is an insanely unknown, unprecedented, unwarranted world at the moment through every aspect of coronavirus, technology, misinformation, plus let's add in this nightmare of Kabul. It's not something that we can just ignore because most of the people who are wanting to put their hand up to help Kabul are putting their hand up because they know they want to help Kabul. They're not trying to westernize it. They are trying to provide them their choices for their freedoms and their equality. So it's just emotionless of numbness, emotionless of sadness, emotionless of anger. That's both of us right now. Right now, we're all checking in on each other. And that's, it feels like that's all we can kind of do. So how do you hold on to, obviously, those feelings of pride and that you impacted the greater good and you you played a role in progressing things over in Afghanistan when you're fighting against people with uninformed opinions, media, and I guess that criticism that what were the sacrifices of the last 20 years even for when this is what the result or end result has been or, you know, you've left Afghanistan to their own devices and this is what's happened because you've pulled out and there was no plan. You know, all of these opinions circulating and going around, how do you hold on to being proud about your service and all that your defence members contributed when you're kind of pushing against all of those opinions out there? Because what he did has not changed. He and the other men and women who went over there went over there to help assist, develop, embrace, connect, build that nation up, not just the physical brick walls, but to build up the lives of the people. But they went there for those reasons. And I'm not ever, ever going to change my view. And I think it's incredibly important to make sure people know it was not a waste of time. It was not all for nothing. You got to give people and experience into what life could be. You know, Pete and his other serving mates all had this same talk of the Taliban weren't gone. They were constantly just pushed back and you had to keep pushing back and you had to keep pushing back like some parasitic weed. And it was a generational change. This was not something that was going to happen overnight. Buildings weren't going to be built up overnight. The education system wasn't going to be built up overnight. The political system wasn't going to be built up overnight. This is something that they've all been a huge part of. There are going to be people who never got to experience a life pre-Taliban. There are kids who got to grow up in that world. There are little girls who got to go to school. Is this a horrifically 
devastating, terrifying situation at the moment? Yes. No one is taking that away. No one is dismissing that. But it was not a waste. It was an opportunity. It wasn't all for nothing. And we need to really get that across because mental health is a huge issue within the military life themselves. There are people who lost their lives. There are people who took their lives. There are people who were physically injured, mentally injured, emotionally injured. It was not a waste to put your hand up to serve, to volunteer your life, your family's life for a hard journey. And I don't care whether you were admin. I don't care if you're SAS. Everyone played a part over there and you were all needed for your particular job role in one way or another over the last many years to pave that pathway out to freedom, equality and choices. You were there to provide the Afghani people an opportunity to grow and to develop. And you have done that no matter what the Taliban are trying to do right now. And I really, I really want to stress that if you think otherwise, it's okay to think negatively right now. It's a horrible time right now. But think of every other pathway that you've put out for these people. And that's not going to change. You would have a group and your partner would have a group of friends and a community who also served and I guess, know what your husband would be feeling and going through at the moment. What is the feeling amongst your defence friends? You mentioned that you've all been checking in on each other and connecting because obviously concerns for people's mental health and all of the media coverage and everything that's coming at them and people's opinions, what's needed is is their community and people who, who really get what they've been through and can understand what they're feeling at the moment. What has been the feeling amongst your friends and your community and, and how have you come together to support each other? Sometimes it's been just through text messages or group chats. Sometimes it's been physically at someone's house. Sometimes it's been through online communication so it could be zoom skype messenger sometimes it's actually been connecting through their housemate or their partner there's been some jokes in the let's let's raise a toast to all those days that we spent digging a hole when sleeping in mud holes and then there's quite serious conversations of hey mate you you doing all right in terms of how they're all thinking it's across the board it's a lot of them are struggling with that concept of what a waste. There are some who are incredibly struggling about was it worth it? There are many who are angry at the situation of how it's unfolded because it was predictable to them. There are many angry at the situation that it's unfolding because they want to get over there and help straight away. There are many devastated and saddened because of what's going over there, what's happening to the people. Those are somber conversations. I will stress the joking ones are generally about stupid things. Like I said, sleeping in mud holes. There's just different ways we have to sort of monitor. Some people, you know, they're not going to be open about how they're feeling and you've got to read between the lines. Despite the fact that a Navy spouse or a, a Navy member wouldn't know what an army member and an army spouse goes through an air force spouse and a, an air force member goes through with the different requirements of the different roles there's still that sense of community and even though we don't know exactly what each other are going through that community still comes together to support knowing that you know the underlying feel is that only a defense member or a fellow spouse really gets 
what's happening? I think to an extent, yes. I do think Australia has a mentality that when they think military, they think army. And I think that can be quite dismissive of the other services. But right now, most of the words and whispers that you hear within the defence community as a whole is very similar chatter, fear, surprise, shock, concern, be it of the members, the veterans, the families, the Afghanis, the journalists, the interpreters, the animals. They're very similar concerns at the moment. That's one thing I'm very grateful for is the defence community. So going forward, what support and services do you know of that can be accessed by you and I guess your defence member? Are you provide a list? Do you just generally know what's out there? What is the consensus with the support and services that you can access at the moment? So we know of many and Pete admits that he believes that I know more than he does. Honestly, the first point of call is generally their mates. Now it can, depending on the situation, would be the serving mates or not, because sometimes you do want to speak to someone who actually understands what you went through and what they went through but sometimes you also want to speak to someone who might be one circle out and understand the world that you live in but not the direct world that you experienced so that's that's a very personal thing but mates and that's something that we've both spoken about during our time today it's connecting and checking in and messaging then you know often you can actually talk to people like the padres and they are there they can either be there as a council sort of ear or sometimes they can provide referrals or check in or make different connections if you do feel comfortable sometimes you can speak to your higher ups i know that a lot of people are turning to the social media pages yourself included so i guess where does defense and open arms and safe zone and and all of those types of supports come in when People are going through, obviously, what they're going through at the moment within the community. Do those support networks come up or do people automatically think of them? So, look, I did automatically think of, like, Open Arms, DCO, DBA, Men's Line, Black Dog Institute, Young Diggers, Legacy, RSL. You know, that's just me going spitting off a few. They are thought of, but there is a lot of disconnect and trust with some of those in particular. I do know that some of them are trying to re-establish attitudes and connections with veterans and serving members. And I think that's a fantastic thing. They, you know, you've got to start somewhere. You just need to continue to follow through and then continue to follow through. And then with time, that trust will be built back up. It's going to take a while to build up. But if they build it up, whispers will start within the community and people will continue to go back to them and they will be able to refer to them. But yeah, I'm first thing people do is turn to their mates. And quite often turn to those amazing social pages like yourself. And so how are you looking after yourself? Obviously, you know, it can be easy for the focus to be on the defence member and the member that's obviously been over there and experienced being over in Afghanistan and having those questions over the result of the last week or the build-up of the last couple of weeks and all that they would be going through and feeling. But right next to them is the defence spouse and basically their support network and the person that is reaching out for those services or making sure that their defence member is okay and watching over the defence member and connecting the defence member. How are you looking after yourself? At the moment, I'm just taking deep breaths. I will be able to look after myself when it's a little bit more appropriate because it's only been a couple of days since it really went bad. But in general, I'm going to support Pete and watch out for his changes that he doesn't think most people notice 
but I'm also going to reach out when I need to reach out. It is not selfish to take time for yourself. That cliche of you need to put your own oxygen mask on before helping up another also applies here. The issue at the moment is obviously we've got COVID. So many, many, many people are stuck depending on where they are. But if you need to reach out, you do what you need to do. Everybody is going through this in such a different way that it's incredibly important that we realize that while we are having to watch out for the serving members, we also need to watch out for ourselves. It's tiring. It's hard. The energy, the, the fear, the worry. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. I guess moving forward with all that's going on and obviously things are not going to be fixed overnight. There's a long road ahead for Afghanistan and the defence members over here that contributed in some way and are left to navigate what this all means and what's going to happen in the future. How are you, you and your your defence member moving forward with all that's going on and seeing all the footage and the reality of what is to come? Day by day. That's all you can do at the moment is day by day. We do not know what the future will hold. We cannot predict the unknown. And I know, I know that sounds easier said than done because I myself am I'm petrified that he's going back over there and I'm petrified that it is seemingly more dangerous than it has been potentially in the past. And I use a lot of these ambiguous terms because I don't know the whole story and I know he's doing the same. So now's the time to sort of, yes, be aware, don't panic. I know there's already families out there whose partners have gone on deployment who have gone over to help the Afghani straight away. I praise you because I thought I was going to be. We've all got your back and I have no doubt that you've got ours. Thank you so much, Anne, for coming on the podcast and telling us your story and your defence member's story and, and all that you're feeling and going through at the moment and the general feel of what's going on within the community at the moment. Thank you so much for being a voice. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 